So essentially poor fermentation equals poor appetite, dehydration, poor coat and hoof condition, reduced immune function, and a chance in poor attitude. Poor fermentation in the performance horse would equal poor performance in training. So definitely a key aspect of nutrition and kind of completing that cycle for your performance horse. Hey guys, welcome back to the Riding to Excellence podcast. I have Dr. Chad Hewlett and Dr. Travis Kelter here with me today from Energy Equine. Hi guys, how are you? Good morning. Very good. We're starting off the day bright and early. Uh, We are coming to you Monday, January 27th, and on the 25th, this last Saturday, we had our first sports therapy lecture of 2020, which was really exciting. The focus was on hindgut ulcers. We had a sold-out crowd, so we wanted to bring uh, Dr. Kelter and Dr. Hewlett's presentation to you guys if you weren't able to make it or if you're listening from somewhere not close to us and you can't make it to our lectures. Because I know we have some American listeners, so that's exciting. Dr. Hewlett's an American, so maybe it's mostly his family. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) My mom. It's probably his mom. My sister. (laughs) She's very uh, on the up and up with the hindgut ulcers. So anyways... Guys, um, let's talk a little bit about the weekend. We had Dr. Tan from the University of Calgary here with us as well. She's an internal medicine specialist. So she presented on uh, the truth behind hindgut ulcers. And Dr. Doug Myers from Bowringer Ingelheim also came and spoke on the different um, drugs that Bowringer offers for some of these issues and the Canadian-approved omeprazole that they offer which he has actually come on the podcast before to talk about that. So go back in the files because that's a great presentation about why you should be using the Health Canada approved omeprazole over the compounded omeprazole that is sometimes offered through clinics. So check that one out after you listen to this one if you're interested in that. So big takeaways, you guys. How did how did you think the weekend went on Saturday? Chad, how did it go? Uh, Louisa is a really nice way to start off the year. It was a great day. First of all, the weather was like stellar after last year's. Last year was minus 40. Yeah, the wind was blowing and I remember Dave came for his bidding lecture and there was snow. And anyway, we, still, we had a good crowd last year too, but this year, just a lot easier to get here. And um, crowd was very engaged as well. Like lots of people stayed for the whole whole lecture series. So and I, we changed the format a little bit too with going to just two speakers. So there were two sessions, I guess. Um, Travis and I teamed up on the second one, so there's three speakers, but... Um, nice that way and I felt like um, we we're able to really get into stuff and people ask a lot of really meaty questions and um, they were able to get a little bit into the weeds by the time we were done because we had more time mm-hmm. so that part I liked. Mm-hmm. Travis what was your big takeaway from the weekend? Yeah definitely felt in the weeds a little bit sometimes <laughs> there were some hard questions but uh, really yeah engaged crowd um, people very interested in a topic that's uh, very common in the horse. So um, it was good to see people really diving in and bouncing ideas kind of back and forth off of each other and also really asking Dr. Tan, who's kind of the nose that knows. So that was really, yeah, it was really nice to see. Yeah, that was awesome. I think it was a great weekend and I'm excited for our next one on February 22nd with Dr. I'm going to butcher his last name. Everyone just calls him Renault. Leguillier? Leguillet? One of those? I think it's Leguillet. Leguillet? I think. I'm like, we all call him Renault, and now I'm on the spot. I'm like, oh. Anyways, Dr. Renault is coming. He's also an expert in respiratory health. There's a lot of big words this morning on a Monday morning. Uh, And he's going to talk with Dr. Doug Myers again, another fan favorite of ours. So that'll be exciting February 22nd. Come to the clinic and learn about recipes for respiratory success. But anyways, let's get back on topic. Today we are talking about hindgut ulcers, which I think most performance horse riders and people in the performance horse industry are familiar with the term ulcer, but it certainly is a scary one and it's one that a lot of us have to deal with pretty regularly with our performance horses. So we are going to focus more on hindgut today. So gentlemen, to get started, kind of talk about what, what does it mean when someone says hindgut? Where is the hindgut on the horse? Uh, the hindgut is the cecum, which is kind of this big um, comma-shaped fermentation vat in the horse or sort of what would be, I guess, our appendix, um, and but with much more of a function than what the human appendix has. And then that leads into your colon, small and uh, large colon and eventually out the the rear end of the horse. 
So yeah, basically you're talking about the large intestine back of yeah. the horse. Yeah. That's when you're talking about hindgut. And so what? What's aside from the fact that that's where everything exits the horse's body? <laughs> what is what is kind of important right. about the hindgut? Why is it kind of an area that we are concerned about? Um, it's really where the horse gets most of its energy, not necessarily directly through what it's doing itself, but its uh, relationship with bacteria and yeasts and things that that kind of reside in that region. So. Um, a lot of the horse's diet's pretty inaccessible to the horse and so they mechanically chew it and break it down and there's a little bit of enzyme action in the mouth and then in the stomach but then when we hit the hindgut this kind of changes and it's really the role of the bacteria um, and and the microbiome as we call it that helps feed the horse really and it breaks down this indigestible or these indigestible contents and allows the horse to then access it for its own energy so yeah so pretty key for an equine athlete this is where their energy source comes from so if it's not operating properly they're probably not operating properly correct yeah yeah water and it's water regulations in the hindgut as well and then if we one of the things we don't think about and i don't think we talked about on the weekend too is um, when you feed those bacteria, they, they create a lot of energy from a warmth standpoint in the wintertime too, right? We talk oh, about right. that all the time. I forgot all about that. I don't know why. Uh, it's one of those things we talk about. Highly just, focused on ulcers. Yeah. So we were so focused on it, but I think that's something that we don't want to forget is that, you know, by feeding those, um, feeding those bacteria, there's a lot of, um, energy that comes off of that as yeah. they're creating food for the horse too. So we talk about that as a way of keeping horses warm at night too yeah your kind of holistic so, look like your whole approach look at um health and wellness when you're talking about nutrition that's another big factor in nutrition is keeping horses warm and how they can regulate themselves mm -hmm. and another kind of fun fact is some of i guess in in fecal matter they figure that sometimes up to about half of the mass is bacteria oh yeah it's crazy yeah. It's a lot of little. Yeah. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't talk, yeah, we didn't talk <laughs> about those germs. two things on the. Yeah, so this is kind of cool to add in. Hey, today. that's a fun. Uh, you guys those should add that facts. to your party tricks yeah. at, at parties. Yeah. <laughs> and you go to non horse parties, be like, hey, did you guys know? Yeah. Um, okay, so ulcers in the hindgut, it's kind of a tricky. Uh, we're going to get more into it as we go. But why, why, why do we see ulcers in the hindgut? What are kind of the culprits of ulceration in that area? So. Like Dr. Tan kind of talked about, I guess, because it's an area that's quite out of our reach with either a, a gastroscope where we can look in there with a camera and also out of reach of what we can sometimes feel or ultrasound through the body wall. Um, it, there's a lot of questions still as to, you know, is there is there true ulceration or are they does that match with the clinical signs? There's obviously horses and situations um, where they've actually cut open the area and looked at ulcers. So yes, we can visually see that sometimes there's ulceration there, but how do we diagnose that in clinic and, and what does it mean for your horse and what we're seeing on the day? So I think that's where there's a few question marks, but there's a couple big culprits and, and other factors that play into their, their potential development, and that's um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory um, use or NSAID use um, and also I guess the stress cycle um, can play in quite a bit here and your horse's hydration status is also very important but I tell people a lot when I'm talking about I guess gastric ulcers or um, hindgut ulcers that you know it's generally not one factor I feel that probably gives your horse an ulcer it's they put up with a few different factors and eventually something's got to give so um, it's important to make sure that your horse is hydrated, to minimize stresses, and to use non-steroidals um, with caution and, and prudently because, you know, a lot of people seem um, like they're of the opinion that non-steroidals have no uh, consequences or no adverse effects, and that's not the case at all. It's just sometimes we're in a situation where we kind of have to rob Peter to pay Paul, um, and a lot of these performance horses have underlying lameness issues or, you know, chronic injury that we need to manage. And sometimes, you know, that's also very important to bring in non-steroidals because if they're in a state of pain or discomfort for too long, that can cause stress and elevate 
um, cortisol levels that can play into development of ulcers too. So, you know, don't just necessarily forgo NSAID administration to hold off ulcers when there's a lot of other factors that can be playing into this. So, so when we talk about NSAIDs, we're talking about Prevacox and... You've got a few. The most common ones used in the horse are usually phenylbutazone or bute, um, banamine or flunixin megalamine, um, Prevacox or phyrocoxib. These, like, the, the these are the trade name names. And <laughs> yeah, these are the trade names and the, the actual active ingredient, especially banamine, because I have quite a few people say, you know, oh no, I have this flunixin and they're the, kind of the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then the other one you come across sometimes is uh, meloxicam or medicam. It's more of a cow or small animal kind of drug. Um, and then there's another one, ketoprofen, which some some places will use. So again, some of these are more selective and keep around the good parts of inflammation that we want to bring or um, other, you know, valuable healing factors. But then there's, um, there's also a part of uh, the inflammation, the bad parts that we want to cut out and they do this quite well and a lot more safely than some steroids. Mm -hmm. So Chad, I'll ask you when you like when you sit through uh, a presentation in the morning where it's a very internal medicine focused presentation and we do, you know, we do hear that NSAID use is a culprit in hindgut ulceration, definitely. Um, and then you have your clients come to you and say, well, my horse is on Prevacox because, you know, he might need it. Or my, there was one question in the crowd where the, the person's trainer was recommending that the horse is regularly on Prevacox. What's your kind of answer to those people that are now very concerned about the use of NSAIDs in their horse? Yeah, I think, um, and, and I'm going to go off the road a little bit here too. So this is going to go, <laughs> this is going to go into some stuff that we're going in the ditch. It, I, yeah, we're going in the ditch <laughs> here, and it's ditch. not. It's, it's going to be a good ditch. It's not going to be in the weeds like <laughs> we're in trouble here, or in the we're going to be stuck. I think we sometimes we get a little bit so you know like when you. When you look at horses for people and they talk about arthritis, you say the word arthritis, and you can just see them pucker up and they're like, oh, my horse has arthritis. Well, arthritis starts simply in the soft tissue and it's an inflammation of the tissue, right? And I feel like we haven't been able to characterize because we cannot see these ulcers in this hindgut. And then with the ultrasound, you're looking for thickened walls. But I know, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I know if I eat certain foods, I don't get a raging ulcer in my stomach but i don't feel good sometimes right and i think the horse has the same type of things i mean when just we're, i'm you know, again like i said i'm in the weeds here i'm postulating a little bit but let's just say that i don't have a, a gut that's changed but i have a gut environment that's changed right so now i've got what i would call mild or some sort of an upset stomach or a upset bacteria or an upset flora that could be caused by stress okay so if i'm in an environment where i don't feel good um, you know, I don't like my job because it hurts when I perform. Okay, well then I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna choose as a veterinarian pain relief for them. And if it's non steroidals because that's what the client uh, wants to do or that fits the situation, then I'm gonna weigh that in. I'm gonna make sure that I'm contributing in there and giving that horse bacteria, you know, in the sense of probiotics and prebiotics like we talked about. And I'm gonna try to keep that stress at a at the level that's appropriate. I'm also gonna make sure I'm feeding that gut and watching what's going on. I, I believe that we try to be very careful with the NSAIDs and you know we use them a fair amount, right? Like, I mean, we're sports medicine practice. It is a very useful medication, especially in, in horses that maybe are a little bit older or that are traveling a bunch. And sometimes I feel like lower doses of administration, you know, daily is better than whacking a horse on the weekends with big doses when I go to performance events and you know you have, you have all these push-pull things that go on right mm -hmm. and so for me it's a I think it's a balance there right I, I obviously we want to be careful with it right? yeah I think what Travis said robbing Peter to pay Paul is a really good analogy and Dr. Tan did touch on that with that trainer specific question trainers are not veterinarians and they might have seen results in one horse but it might not be the same for any so if you are having concerns about NSAID use after you know hearing talks like this in relation to hindgut ulcers it never hurts just to talk to your veterinarian about how you're dosing your horse appropriately if you're dosing your horse appropriately and get them on board with kind of what you're doing and why you're doing it um, 
And I thought that was, you know, an eloquent way that she, Dr. Tan kind of answered that question as well. Mm. Uh, Sorry, Travis, go ahead. Oh, no, I was also just going to say, I think a pretty real example for a lot of people is horses with navicular problems. Mm -hmm. So it's, everybody gets, you know, quite wound up when they hear the word navicular, but it's probably one of the most common causes of front-end lameness. And if some some of these horses can be really quite lame, um, it's it, there's a gradient of you know of lameness and signs. But um, for the ones that are on maybe the mid to higher end of the scale, Prevacox works really well to pull them through you know episodes, or some of them get a little tender after shoeing, things like that. So they it can be very valuable for this and for people who need to get to performance, which is most of our clientele. If their horse is crippled on the front end, they're not going to perform at all. So, you know, besides the ulcer standpoint, these med these medicines are sometimes very useful to help maintain a horse. But that's why we make certain recommendations, like make sure they're adequately hydrated while they're on them. Um, for those that are getting to mid age or senior, you know, should they be pulling a annual CBC biochem or a general blood screen just to check kidney parameters because we know that it's cleared by the kidney or, you know, um, as just a general check as well. So there's other things like that that they can do. Some people will pull their horses off Prevacox in the um, off season or the lighter part of their season and just use it for um, the, the heavier parts to keep them comfortable. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of use these drugs and to tackle it in, in respect to your type of discipline and your horse. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so we kind of touched on, I guess, three main culprits, uh, the inside administration, stress, uh, dehydration, and then another culprit, which is pretty well known to the performance horse that uh, may be a cause and effect of ulcers, is high grain, low forage diets. So, kind of explain why those high grain, low forage diets can attribute to hindgut ulcers. Um, so, when we when we kind of increase, I guess the the grain load and decrease the forage load. Um, grains are a little bit easier or more rapidly digestible and so um, when undigested carbohydrates um, reach the hindgut then this can in turn increase the acidity of that area because normally what's taken care of um, through the digestive processes of the stomach and the small intestine they kind of uh, they they tackle some of this but eventually a threshold gets reached and if these carbs start making it to the hindgut it can uh, it can result in a hindgut acidosis um, and you can get into the physiology of why that happens but basically there's certain bacteria that will convert um, convert more of these compounds into lactic acid um, versus other types of acid and lactic acid has a lower pH and it can drop the pH of, of that area that's not used to seeing that and ulcerate it. Yeah, so essentially those diets increase acid, which reduces the mucosa protection and almost leaves that hindgut unprotected. Yeah. Okay, so you guys are going to be able to see this in the show notes, but there is a beautiful unicorn on the second slide that's making me laugh. Um, but moving on to the digestive tract, kind of what is going on there? So talking on the transit time of food, kind of where are we at when a horse starts to eat and when they end eating? Yeah, so the horse has, again, an enormous digestive tract. So I guess we kind of break it into its parts, um, what their kind of function is, and then also have a have a think about transit time or how long it takes for um, a food bolus to pass from you know one area to the other. So the total length of the horse's digestive tract can reach about 100 feet. Fun fact alert. Exactly. <laughs> and then uh, 100 feet. Um, the stomach. The stomach's actually pretty small overall, maybe about 10% of the uh, overall capacity of the digestive tract. And um, food moves relatively quickly through the stomach compared to something like the cecum or the hind end of the tract. Um, and it can sometimes move through as, in as little as 15 um, sometimes, and, and with certain disease states, sometimes uh, the emptying's delayed. So again, this, these types of things can contribute to ulceration in that area. 
small intestine, things usually move through possibly like 30 to 90 minutes. The large intestine is where, um, and the cecum is really to function to slow down this food because this is where the fermentation and um, where, where the energy um, availability to the horse from the bacterial breakdown of food comes. So this is where you really want a slow transit. Um, so the whole process of uh, taking in food, digesting it, and and expelling it as waste material can be up to the 72-hour mark, so anywhere between 36 to 72. And then another point that we just wanted to make, I guess, on the weekend, um, not to forget again, is that um, the horse has to be able to chew its food and mechanically break it down. That's where it starts and it starts in the mouth. So make sure that your horse has regular dental care um, and that you're taking care of the teeth because they can they can take up to 60,000 swipes of their jaw in a day. That's um, a fun fact that's been studied. <laughs> I'm not just pulling that number. So, um, you know, when you're considering something that can live um, up to, you know, maybe 20, 30, maybe close to 40 years, taking that many swipes of its jaw a day, teeth are very important. So just don't forget that. How did they study that? Did they literally just sit and count? <laughs> Probably. Job? What? Academia <clears throat> is wild. Yeah, no, I came across it reading, reading, uh, but I didn't uh, dive into that study. Sounds like a hot study. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think that says about us, Travis? They say that humans have 60,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. And many of them are the same. Yeah. Like over and over yeah. and over. And the horse is busy chewing its food. Yeah. So, and it's probably not thinking about much besides moving its jaw. Yeah. So. yeah. Just, just living. Yeah. Just living living and doing my job. Um, What a life. (laughs) When we talk about volume of the digestive tract, we're going to obviously start, like we said, in the foregut, which is the stomach and the small intestine. So touch on... Also a key area of ulceration. Yeah. Again, we focus on hindgut ulcers because last year we did a a very in-depth talk on foregut, or I guess gastric ulcers. Um, Not foregut ulcers, but gastric ulcers. That's the, the distinguisher there. Um... Ulcers are everywhere. <laughs> you can't hide from them. But today when we do talk about hindgut, it's not that there aren't ulcers in other areas. Um, so when we talk about volume of the digestive tract, we start kind of with the stomach. So what does that look like? Again, yeah, relatively small in the overall capacity. So you move from the mouth down the esophagus, which is really just the transit tube, and then you hit the stomach. So it makes up about 10% of the capacity of the digestive system. What this means in terms of volume is usually about 9 to 15 liters, keeping in mind that you can have, you know, minis and um, (laughs) ponies to, you know, big draft horses. So these capacities are going to alter a little bit, but 9 to 15 is your kind of magic number. And then you're going to move into the, the small intestine. What kind of happens there, Chad? What, what do we got for volume in the small intestine? Well, it's, it's going to run about a third of the digestive tract, right? Um, so around that, 20, I think 28% is what's published. But we always say that it's about a third of it uh, by the time we're done. And it's going to hold a little bit more volume in the stomach because it's got a bit, bit more length, right, than the stomach does. Um, this is where we're going to start to see some of those enzymes start to break things down and some of our carbohydrate, protein absorption stuff's going to get started there. Right? Mm-hmm. And the um, volume of the small intestine uh, on average is 55 to 70 liters. So quite a big jump from, from the stomach, yeah. from the stomach, which is interesting. Yeah. And so then kind of from there, that's when we're moving back into hind gut again. And that's where we get the large intestine. So Travis, talk about the volume of that. Um, yeah, again, so this is kind of where the magic happens. So um, it can be up to 60-ish percent of the entire gut, um, approximately uh, the large intestine, approximately seven meters in length and can have a volume. And this includes the cecum and the, the small and, and large colons, but they can have a volume, again, depending on size of the horse, up to 140, 150 liters. So, so pretty massive amount yeah. of volume that gets held there. And then we're moving into the cecum, uh, which we just kind of, or no, we didn't touch on it, which is kind of the transition point. So touch on that as well. Yeah, again, before so... We, oh, before sorry. we jump to that, I just thought of this. Do you know what holds 140 to 150 liters? <laughs> Bet you're going to tell me. Yeah. Most people's trucks that they pull their trailer with, or that they, <laughs> you know what I mean? When you go to fill up, right? It's usually around 110 uh, to 130 yeah. liters, right? Yeah. So... 
that gives everybody a bit of a perspective because most people are hauling their horse in a truck or a trailer or truck with a trailer right yeah so when you go to fill your truck up think of your horses seek them i know it's so <laughs> weird sort of yeah, think yeah. Of the high yeah I, I don't have much of a life i'm sorry yeah. <laughs> as we're falling down the road listening to this podcast um okay so moving to the seek him travis yeah. speak on that a little bit yeah so some people might call it sort of a comma-shaped structure or a blind ending sack, and that's because this is sort of your transition point, again, to slow down food and ferment. So this is your vat that we talk about, Um, and food enters from the small intestine into the cecum, kind of goes down this comma shape, and then has to work its way back up and out the same um, opening. So, and then that moves into your, your... uh, the rest of your large intestine and colon. So um, this can hold around 28 to 36 liters of um, feed and fluid. It's a uh, microbial inoculation vat. It's kind of like the rumen of the cow. And again, this is where a lot of uh, feed breakdown occurs and we're turning those into volatile fatty acids or VFAs and that is what is available to the horse to use for their energy. So if we don't have that fermentation process and we don't have that cecum, then we can't feed your horse. And then to keep going down the track, uh, we get to the large colon. So kind of speak on the large and small colon and their volumes. Yeah, so the large colon consists of the right and left ventral colons. And then the dorsal colon is about three to three and a half meters long. And it can hold up to, you know, about 80, 85, 85 liters. Um, There's a lot of microbial digestion or fermentation, and most of the nutrients made through microbial digestion get absorbed here. And then you move on to the small colon, which is approximately the same length, um, but has a a smaller diameter. And then uh, the vast majority of nutrients have been digested by this point, and uh, what is left cannot really be digested by the horse. So the main function of the small colon is um, uh, water absorption um, and to uh, return that water to the body. So this is where your fecal balls are formed and um, eventually again move out the back end of the horse. Yeah, so pretty pretty insane from 30 and an average of 36 to 72 hours from start to finish. That's, that's a lot happening in there. I wonder horses break so much. Also, also we can get a pile of road apples. At yeah, the end. yeah, yeah. We're gonna get to road apples. That's a new one for me. So we're gonna get to that in a second. That's, a, that's an American thing. Yeah, that's another American yeah, thing. Another American okay, thing. let's go to fermentation. And this slide says, "Is the vat full? What's it full of? And what am I cooking with?" And we have a little cauldron picture. So, gentlemen, tell me what what is what does this mean? What is what are these vats and cauldrons all about? Yeah. So, um, first of all, is the vat full? So we just need to make sure that. As a horse owner, if you're if you're picking quality of food that you're gonna get, let's make sure that our forage is at the the best quality it can be, and that we try to manage it so that we're never below one and a half percent of the horse's body weight. And again, we're gonna talk percentages because then you can just kind of extrapolate that to your pony, you can extrapolate to your draft horse, or your performance horse somewhere in the middle there. Keeping in mind that different variations of breeds may take more percentage of body weight depending on their metabolism and that sort of thing but we're going to go somewhere between that one and a half and three to three point five percent body fat body weight sorry um to make sure that bat's full because if we don't have it full enough it's not going to work properly right Uh, we're not going to be able to we're going to get different bacteria we're going to get different cultures um we also need know that the water needs to be in there as well okay and then so what is it full of that's the next thing so if we get past the what am I gonna put in there? Um, now I need to figure it out. So if we're using, um, you know, if you think of short food as really high in carbohydrates and really soft like grass when it first comes, we call that candy grass because it has so much, such a high sugar content. It also doesn't take much for that grass to stand up, so it doesn't need a lot of fiber, right? Whereas my forage as it gets higher and higher and higher, when you start to think of it and people say it's ripe, or it becomes almost rank or whatever, that's because it's becoming more like trees, right? So the taller I am as a, as a fiber, the more it takes uh, of the lig, 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 lignin. lignins. There yeah. we go. I was like, I got to say that right. Lignins in order to hold me up. So a tree has a lot more fiber in it than grass does, right? 
Um, so we want to make sure that we're looking at having that balance in there of where we're at. So maybe even a little bit rougher hay than we think sometimes um, based on the fact that it will help that colon. And then what am I cooking with? Okay, well this is, do I have healthy bacteria? Do I have healthy protozoa in there? And we discussed this, uh, not at length, but we talked about it in, in, the, um, in the meeting, is that we don't know the exact players that are down there uh, at this point like they do in the human side. The humans, really they're really starting to explore the, the biome. We know that, that we need a, a mixture of different kinds of bacteria, and I think we'll see this start to come to play over the next few years. Dr. Ten gave a talk on a couple of horses, didn't she, as far as different kinds of bacteria that they found? Do you remember... Yeah. I feel bad that I don't remember the exact um, yeah. kinds. I are like the the complications or the the yeah the healthy horses versus the sick horses like the, and it yeah, wasn't I can't it's crazy talk... it's not that big a variation is no it? I can't I can talk a little bit about that with pre and probiotics I guess yeah. but um, I guess the one thing I took home from Doctor Tan's part it, um, I'm generally of the opinion that pre and probiotics are quite safe and a good additive to your horse's um, diet, whether that needs to be every single day or, you know, relatively consistent use, but more as a top up kind of thing. Um, and again, I don't want to get too deep because there's a lot of things that we don't know about this, but um, when I've talked to people um, and, and the things that I've read, the two key players that you'll often see are lactobacillus, which is a type of bacteria. And there's lots of different, um, lactobacilli, so some good, some bad, and then there's the other one that you'll you'll hear quite a bit about is Saccharomyces, which is a yeast. Um, we know that they seem to have a, a fairly big function um, in the digestive tract of many animals, but also the horse. So, um, but you do have to be careful with certain, I think. Uh, ages, you know, foals are very old animals. You have to be careful with certain uh, disease states. Um, you know, should we be altering the gut bacteria during these times or during these life stages? You know, I would exercise caution there. But for your average kind of horse, um, again, coming back to looking at, at what the fecal consistency is like, and this is not a direct comparison, but generally speaking if you have nice you know well-formed fairly easy to break open moist looking fecal balls then that to me is generally indicating um overall health of the horse if we have very runny um manure that with maybe blood flecks in it or you know darker in color or um firmer with mucus these are indicating issues so you know if you if you inter or if you put in pre and probiotics or you know other gut interventions and you see this getting worse or getting better that to me is kind of your indicator towards or away from a better overall state of gut health definitely and so then to kind of summarize all of that when it comes to fermentation it is so key because it provides the horse with the energy vitamins minerals and amino acids that they need to perform so essentially poor fermentation equals poor appetite dehydration poor coat and hoof condition reduced immune function and a chance in poor attitude poor fermentation in the performance horse would equal poor performance in training so definitely a key aspect of nutrition and kind of completing that cycle for your performance horse so moving on from there we are going to obviously talk about feeding the performance horse because that's what uh, Dr. Hewlett Chad just touched on, um, is the vat full. So kind of when you go into feeding the horse, what are we looking at? What are like kind of the types of forage and go from there? Um, so again, these are very general recommendations. So tune into your horse, tune into your type of performance and sort of feed to them and feed accordingly also when in relation to ulcers sometimes when they have ulcers that have already developed or um and you've either you know visually diagnosed these things or strongly suspect them you may change the way that you feed um, based on a treatment feeding kind of protocol so just bear that in mind but 
reducing the concentrate, again, the grains, the processed feeds, the things that are really easy to break down and can quickly break down, um, sometimes reducing that and increasing your forage. Again, the forage should be the mainstay for the horse. So the, these are your, your hays or hay-based products. Um, feed smaller meals more frequently throughout the day. Uh, this aids in carbohydrates, digesting in the foregut, and keeps starches out of the hindgut, again, leading to maybe that acidotic situation or a drop in pH. And this is so that we uh, maintain a healthy pH balance and uh, relatively um, constant acidity, acidity levels. So, what, And what I found interesting from Dr. Tan's talk is basically this is all, you're doing all of this, in the hopes to mitigate ulceration because especially with hindgut ulcers if your horse has a serious case of hindgut ulcers you're going to have to pull it off of forage and almost feed it complete feed for three to six months with you know obviously with veterinary care and these horses that she was talking about were in hospital hospital situations but she did say it's it is a very tricky kind of path you have to walk down to heal hindgut ulcers. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, me too. And and this is what I mean by, you know, like sometimes we change the feed management based on a disease process. And I know that sounds dramatic, but an ulcer is technically you, you have a diseased animal. <laughs> so, Darn you know, <laughs> you, you will alter some of these things. And also the other thing that was, you know, I, th I think the vet end of things understand sometimes is Dr. Tan will see very, you know, kind of crazy wild cases or internal medicine specialists in general, like they, they're going to see the very difficult to manage um, cases, the unusual, the zebras, as we like to call them, you know, the things that don't come along quite as often for your typical vet in the field. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's, I, we don't want to use like total scare tactics. Here. It was, I mean, I didn't, I had never, I had never heard of that though. Like if a, you know, a horse with severe hindgut ulcers, that's you know basically there's so much forage that we then have to dramatically mm -hmm. change their diets and she said they get really they get really angry yeah They're sad and potentially have to take them to surgery so listen so. To, listen to what we say because you don't want a sad horse that can't feed hay to <laughs> um ch basically chad talk about uh buffers when it comes to forage and feeding what are kind of some buffers in the in that area yeah, I think, so I think um, just listening to Travis and then thinking too a little just about uh, evolution and basic horse or, you know, kind of standard old time horsemanship um, buffers. So bicarbonate is a big one. And Travis alluded to it in the talk and talked about it again today with just uh, dentition, like just eating. There's a certain amount of bicarbonate that's produced in their saliva that comes down. I think that the more consistently we're having food in the stomach, the it almost acts like a buffer too in the sense of it soaks up the acid at the same time so i think those are two those are a couple of things that are important there um we're doing some management things based on the fact that some horses are you know if you're if you're managing your horse and you're in an intense environment as far as competition and you're at the trailer or you're at a competition and you you know you you they're not out on pasture this alfalfa content uh, using a pellet or a small bolus of cubes or whatever that's wetted that allows them to drop into their stomach about 40, let's say 30 to 45 minutes before they compete. And again, this isn't proven in research yet, but definitely lots of veterinarians are playing with this and nutrition companies, um, uh, nutritionists are playing with it where you can use that alfalfa because it has a high calcium content to act as a buffer in a horse when it gets ready to perform. So essentially, yeah, feeding either alfalfa or feeding a pelleted form of alfalfa before performance. Yeah. And there's lots of products out on the market that are, you know, um, that have a bicarbonate or, a, you know, a buffering action in them that you give before you go. What's the one that's down the show? Um, the one that we have here is AFX. It's, yeah. uh, again, a calcium-based, uh, I think magnesium-based um, product and those are typical things also found in a lot of feeds that uh, act as a buffer so those I always tell people you know they're probably not enough to treat active ulcers but what I like them for is right before a ride or yeah. right before you're gonna basically splash 
you know, a bunch of acid around the horse's stomach, um, then get some of that in there because they, they are really are just a buffer. So while they're in the stomach splashing around, they're doing something, they're neutralizing the stomach acid. Um, but that has a relatively short duration of effect, you know, a couple hours. And then after that, they've, they've neutralized. So they're, they're used up. So you have to keep on kind of topping them up that way. So again, as a treatment method, they're, they're probably, uh, painstaking for the owner to have to go give a bunch of top-ups, you know, all throughout the day for multiple days or possibly a couple months. Um, so, you know, they're, they're better as a maintenance product to me or right before a ride or hauling those types of situations. So then as we kind of touched on in the last couple of minutes, hay is considered a high bulk diet and it takes up a lot of volume in the large colon. So essentially it is harder to digest. Um, but obviously there are a lot of mechanisms at play. Horses were made to graze and eat. Um, but you can substitute and kind of build diets with hay and other products like soaked alfalfa cubes, alfalfa pellets like Chad touched on, beet pulp or a complete feed that includes a horse's necessary daily dose of fiber. So kind of talk about that balancing your bulk with fiber concept. What would, what would just the regular performance horse owner do to mitigate that effect of the high bulk and hay? I guess so feed you can the the times you feed so that's one so the again the more you can have hay kind of in front of the horse throughout the day um I guess there's a bit of probably a behavioral component to that as well where if that's the usual for them they know that they're going to have hay most of the time you probably reduce um reduce the gutsy eaters or if you're you know in a little bit more of a herd situation you know the ones that are gonna bully the other horses around so a they can pick at it like a a normal grazing animal would in the wild also i think it you know decreases the competitive nature of the horses to oh i get my two meals a day i better get in there and get what i need before all the other ones get in there you know so it, it it's um and that may also bring stresses to the horse as well so you know like there's a lot of factors that relate back to the management um situation um and then you can soak some of these as well um again increasing the water content some people may need to do that if they have underlying um other metabolic diseases like cushings um, you can again bring in in your your other supplements um, into your feeding program as well um, that protect the belly, um, and also the one that we like here sometimes is uh, using beet pulp. Maybe Chad can talk a little yeah, bit more about that. Chad, yeah, Chad's so, a big beet pulp guy, so touch on beet pulp. It's an old school feeding program. What I like about it is it's a digestible fiber that that you can use almost like it's almost like a pseudo concentrate because it allows horsemen um, to feed um, a concentrate, so to speak, but it's going to get to the hind gut to be digested and it's going to fill those horses up. I really like how horses look on it too. I mean, as long as it's the right product for that horse, not every, not every horses does well on beet pulp, but I find in general that quite a few horses will be able to maintain their muscle mass or develop more muscle mass. They just seem fuller on it. Um, as far as how the carbohydrates work the other thing that you know you can sometimes introduce are things like uh, omega rich oils as well Um, because sometimes especially again I'm thinking of those those Cushing's horses where sometimes you do have to be careful with the amount of forage um, not just from a strict ulcer standpoint but um, from the metabolic standpoint so using an oil um, it's a fat or an energy source so they can pull some of that energy from there so if they're pulling some of the energy from there instead of having to break down the hay to access the energy to then use it you know those are other things that you can use to to tweak it so the way that you feed um quantity of what's fed and then can we supplement an energy source with some other type of of pelleted grain or you know feed stuff or or oil and so then we move into expelling the feed which Ah. is our fecal exam material so this is what chad was talking about road apples apparently i had never heard this before but if you google it it comes up a road apple is when a horse poops on a road 
Yeah. That's called a road apple. It's horse poo on a road. So I'm also familiar with road apples. I, you are familiar <laughs> with it? Yeah, but... Oh, well, old, I'd never heard of it. Old school family. And then I Googled it, so I was like, well, it's got to be real if it's on Google. Yeah. The, the, images, <laughs> the images were poop. They weren't yeah. apples. So anyways, why are we talking about road apples? Why is that important? Chad, let's let's let you talk about this one. This is your baby. So two, I think two things talked about, Travis talked about earlier, which is kind of cool when you think about it. Um, there's a lot of bacteria in poop, right? And the shape of that definitely tells us kind of what the health of the horse is. And and I believe that just monitor, you know, knowing what the fiber length is when it, when we look at that too as well gives us a little bit of an indication of how well that horse is uh, masticating or chewing its food up, right? And then that, that gives us some lead into making sure the dentistry is where we want it to be. And knowing a little bit about the health, sometimes the best way to do it is look at the stuff that's at the end. And if you bring that in and we can have a look at it as well with with you as your veterinarian and discussions over, you know, does my horse have diarrhea in certain situations? Okay, well, that might not be dietary related. That might be stress related. So we talked about at the beginning, and I know we've, we've missed a little bit of that, but the nervous system in the horse is very dialed in. And so I think just understanding what consistency is and when a horse gets diarrhea or if they don't get diarrhea or if they have... Like Travis said before, if they have um, mucus on their um, feces, you know, there's some other questions we want to make sure we're looking at. Yeah, the mucus can be, you know, delayed transit time. Um, the other thing is uh, you, you may see some fecal scoring charts. There's various different types, and there's ones for dogs and ones for cows, and they've um, tried to make ones for horses. I don't know how accurate they really are, but we're, we're talking about the consistency of the the feces as a general kind of gauge. The other thing is if you're seeing a whole bunch of undigested oats or, you know, things that you feed to your horse in in the fecal matter, that may indicate your transit time is going to it's too fast. So, you know, if if you're feeding a bunch of things that are making it to the back end undigested, that's telling me we're either going too quickly through the tract or we're not digesting properly there's some kind of either uh, micro microbial imbalance or um, the actual absorption through the gut wall is altered for some kind of reason possibly blood flow hydration disease you know those types of things so yeah okay so as we kind of wrap up the first part of this uh, segment on optimizing gut health for nutrition and performance. Aside from ulceration, what is another issue that can come out of these types of diets in a horse? Um, quite a lot, and it's you know it's kind of a two-way street, I guess. Make sure that there's not an underlying cause feeding into a gut problem, but also you know how do we optimize the gut so that you don't have a a flow-on problem um, or a systemic problem related to to your digestive tract. And the big one that stands out is laminitis or founder. Um, so again, coming back to this hindgut acidosis idea, um, if you're acidifying and uh, compromising the mucosal or the lining of your gut's health in the hindgut, then this can lead to a leaky gut. Um, and there's, again, within that area, good and bad bacteria. If we get... Um, out of balance of the, of what's normal and what's good for the horse, we may get more of the bad players. Some of those release what's called endotoxins, which can go through the bloodstream, hit the coronary band, and cause the horse uh, to have inf inflammation of the hoof of the tissues between the uh, the coffin bone and the hoof wall, and cause a separation there, which can be a crippling and potentially life ending. Uh, scenario if the horse founders badly enough or goes unnoticed yeah definitely so a pretty major major complication that also comes out of kind of poor dietary management and the, these diets that we've these concentrated diets that we're now feeding our horses yeah so kind of to wrap it up guys because we're getting a little long um we we've touched on quite a few different topics in this podcast but i guess in summary can you guys kind of summarize the first half of this when it comes to feed and forage what what are we looking for we talked about splitting our feeds up reducing the bulk what else what else would we kind of touch on today um i guess importance of the the mouth good dentition and in, in mechanically breaking down food uh the importance of saliva in um 
in both buffering capacities of the stomach and in, uh, I guess, the initial parts of digestion moving on into the back end of the tract, which there's still a lot of question marks in how do we diagnose and correctly identify for um, ulcers for your horse? How do we manage these uh, from a feed standpoint? And um, how does overall gut health play into to your horse's overall health? And um, I think all of us are of the opinion that you need the whole system to be working optimally to perform. So just don't forget that there can be underlying conditions. Don't forget that there can be other reasons for um, ulceration of the gut. Use, you know, use your non-steroidals prudently. Make sure your horse is very well hydrated. That's probably one of the key, the key ones. Um, we didn't talk about it a lot, but possibly some electrolyte supplementation. Um, and then the other thing is coming back to the whole body of the horse. Remember, remember who your players are and um, how to optimize your horse's health. And this relates back to your trainers, to your farriers, to your body workers, to your chiros. So, you know, we all work on different parts of the body, but it all can relate to problems in the gut or problems from, a, from an overall body standpoint. So don't forget those. And Chad, what are your kind of big takeaways? Um, yeah, so good hydration, lots of bulk. So make sure that the vat is full. We talked about one and a half to three percent body weight. Making sure that we are cognizant of all all the body systems. So if I have a horse that's very lame, I'm still going to want to use some pain relief, right, in order to manage that. So I don't think we. I think Travis said this at one point. It's robbing Peter to pay Paul. Sometimes you know you have to look at the balance there. And the last one is, is making sure that those horses have a chance to be out moving around too. I think mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said yeah. for horses that live outside for a certain period of the day, you know, as much as possible. I think mm -hmm. that helps them, um, you know, be able to just their body was meant to move. Right. So. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. So in um, two weeks, you guys are going to get the part two of this podcast, which is going to focus a lot on supplements obviously when you talk about nutrition that was a lot of the questions that we had and dr chan had in the morning was what do i feed and how do i feed it and why should i feed it and which products are going to work for my horse so in the next episode we're going to talk about prebiotics and probiotics that's a pretty hot topic travis touched on it already but supplementing with oil and the omegas supplementing with your vitamins and minerals we're also going to talk about lectins and pectins that's kind of a big those are two big buzzwords that are kind of going on in the equine nutrition world right now. And then we're going to talk about some other supplements that we've heard of and talk about some studies that have either proved them or busted them. So that'll be, sorry, that'll be a really uh, fun podcast that I'm sure many of you will want to listen to. So I got to get these guys on the floor and doing some vet med stuff instead of talking to microphones. So thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited for part two. Thanks for having us and thanks for everybody who came on the weekend. It was yeah. awesome. We'll talk to you guys soon.